Jersey is the world. Hi everybody, Chris Gathard here. Welcome to New Jersey is the world. Before I get into what this week's episode's about, I want to remind you that in the month of May, New Jersey's The World is sponsored by our friends at Lunar Fair. Lunar Fair is the coolest. It's the best. They're nice people. If you were at our live show in Asbury Park, you uh, saw them come out. The Lunar Queen, Lorraine, joined us, as well as a whole bunch of other witches. And they uh, gave a blessing to Pete Genovese so that he may stay healthy despite how he eats. And it was bizarre and funny, and they have a sense of humor, and they're great people. And they run Lunar Fair, which is a night market. It's a pop-up night market. There's one on the 16th, which you just missed. Don't miss the one on the 29th of May. Don't miss the one on June 14th. Those two are in Central Jersey. Big one-year anniversary. That's June 28th. That's at the Sussex Fairgrounds. That one's going to be huge. And uh, I'll tell you what, man. People show up and they realize Jersey is a place. Look, I used to work at the magazine Weird New Jersey. Everybody knows that Jersey loves getting weird and that there's a lot of weirdos here and there's a lot of pride. Look at all the great bands that come out of Jersey. Look at all the great art that comes out of Jersey. You know that this is a place where weirdos thrive and Lunar Fair has become a, thra- a haven for the weirdos, okay? And uh, it's a community. It's a community that's building with each event and uh, I invite you to be a part of it. Go check it out. People there are friendly. They're lovely. And uh, you can get fetish leather too. Okay? Go check out Lunar Fair. Lunarfair.com with an E at the end. And follow them on Instagram. Their Instagram's great. Okay, this week we're talking Jersey feuds. This was a fun episode. We had a huge, huge outline, and we had so much stuff to chew on that we didn't even get to half of it, man. Um, I'm really, really interested. I say this towards the end of the episode, 973-780-4660. That's our voicemail line. As you're listening to this, I know for a fact that the best stories of these feuds in New Jersey are the local ones that, that you know about within your town or even within your neighborhood that maybe didn't even spread out behind the town. Oh, I had a neighbor who had a tree hanging over the other neighbor's property and he flipped out in the middle of the night and there was like a chainsaw incident or um, somebody wasn't mowing their lawn frequently enough and then the neighbors went vigilante on them and uh, blah, blah, blah. We want to hear about the feuds you know about. Um, especially those local level ones. I find these stories really fascinating because we all know, as you're going to hear, the whole premise of this episode is Jersey people, they know how to hold a grudge. They can make the Hatfields and the McCoys look downright civil, discussing some of the infamous stories um, that have gained statewide recognition in that sense. Also, a West Orange one that uh, was infamous in our time growing up in West O. Enjoy it, everybody, and I look forward to hearing from you. Hi, everybody. My name is Chris Gethard, and this is New Jersey is the World. Uh, the Wotown gang has assembled. This is the flagship show of the network. And if you were only listening to the Monday free feed, congratulations. That's awesome. You get a lot of Wotown, Don's Food Chats, interviews. I suggest you join the Patreon, though. Um, all three of us are on the Patreon, and you get South Jersey is also the world, and the deep dives, and the live streams, and all sorts of great stuff. And uh, just last night, as of this recording, not when it's released, just did a surprise live stream last night where all three of us jumped in. I'm talking about myself and, uh, of course, Mike D. Mike, how you feeling? I'm feeling better. I was, uh, I was surprised to see a live stream pop up last night. So for anyone out there listening, Chris does not even inform us, which kind of makes it even more improvisational and off the cuff. But I was uh, happy to join in and give my, give my opinion on, uh, Chris, your future political career in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And of course, Nikki Bonaduce had strong perspective of being a uh, a union man and the politics that go along with it. Um, how are you, Nikki Bonaduce? I'm doing okay, live and breathing. That's good. <laughs> so again, Mike is sick. Nick Nick's answer is alive and breathing. He's been texting us all week with his work schedule. It's been insane. And then I uh, am in a situation. My wife has COVID, so I've been on <laughs> childcare duty and trying to, you know, also like pay the mortgage. So. All three of us. This is good. this episode's going to get trippy fast because I think all three of us <laughs> like are already too much. Might be divulged. <laughs> I feel like all three of us basically. The, right, the analogy is basically we are all running on empty. Like the the meter, the, we have all hit E. The gas gauge has hit E for all of us, and usually that's like one or two of us. But today's going to get weird fast. I'm not even. I'm not even drinking a beer tonight. I'm drinking 
Starbucks double espresso like canned drinks right now, and I've already had two, and feel no effect. It's 9 p.m. and you're chugging your third star, so you might just have a heart attack and collapse on the street because you're just trying to stay awake through the end of this hour-long thing. So, uh, Mike D, you came up with this topic. It came up, I think, pretty organically because we we stumbled upon an article that I think kind of raised the red flag of this one: New Jersey feuds. Um, because everybody knows that Jersey people, they can hold a grudge and they can get demonstrative. And I think, I don't care if you're from North, South or Central. I don't care if you're rich, poor, what your religion is, what race you are. New Jersey people also love revenge. I think that's one of the uniting things um, that brings us together. And uh, Mike, D, I almost wonder if we should start by talking about the uh, incident in Clifton that spurred this one to life. You know, as everyone knows, I'm in avid consumer of news and a huge fan and subscriber to the star ledger nj.com which is an excellent newspaper and i came across this article this week and i shared it with the crew and you got you guys had already also discovered this article on your own because it's got to be one of the strangest things that, that i've read so last week in, in Clifton, New Jersey, the, the, this was first reported that there was a small hot dog stand, you know, like an actual hot dog stand <laughs> on the side of the road in Clifton. And someone had driven a van through the hot dog stand, like completely destroyed the hot dog stand. And the original way the article was reported was, you know, the, the owner of the hot dog stand was, um, I think, uh, uh, Dave Martinez, his name. And he's like, oh, it's so terrible. I just spent, you know, $50,000 in six months renovating this hot dog stand. I just opened today and a van drove through the entire hot dog stand. Thankfully, no one was hurt, but the whole place was destroyed. And I was like, oh, what a sad story. I, I feel really bad for, for this guy. Then within 24 hours, they publish a second expanded version of the article. And in this article, they detail a New Jersey hot dog stand feud. And the owner of the stand, Dave Martinez, says that this was done on purpose and that he had been receiving death threats and that someone destroyed his hot dog stand on purpose. Uh, and what happened was someone called him up and said, that's what happens when you disrespect the elders, the rightful founders and originators of Jumbo's Italian Ices and hot dogs. And I was like, oh, wow, he must have stolen this business. But then when you look into it, the original Jumbo's Italian Ice and Hot Dogs closed 50 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I read the same thing, but the, there were comments from the... So 50 years ago, this place, Jumbo's closed. And he's opened up, I think, on the same corner that it used to be there. Yes, same place. Across the street, right? Yeah, across the street. Now, oh, no, no, Nick, sorry. It's, I think it's... The same place. Yeah, I think same place. So there's two things going on here. There's two potential people who could have driven oh, oh God. this van through it. One is, so this, this place, Jumbo's, that was around in this, you know, back in the day, closed 50 years ago, that family is still around in the Jersey area. I don't know if it's in, in Clifton specifically. Um, I'm sure the article says, but they've made some comments that are like, this is karma. Like there's this old business and you took the name and you tried to open up in the same place and you didn't consult our family. That's karma. But there's also another place named <laughs> Jumbo. Jumbo Italian Ices that's directly across the street without the S. So this person is simultaneously reviving a dead business and, and trying to undercut a living one on the same block. So there's, Two, I mean, this is turning into a real game of Clue. This is like, there's multiple suspects, let alone the Ruts Hut and Hot Grill contingent. So I'm sure I can't be happy to see more hot dog competition in Clifton. Uh, for me, the defining factor of what, what makes this an especially New Jersey type of feud, and I think what defines a New Jersey type of feud is you will fight this feud even though you may be the person being harmed more than anyone else by fighting the feud. When I looked at the pictures, I am absolutely certain that the cost of the very nice van that was driven through the hot dog stand cost more than the hot dog stand. So definitely the person who totaled their car ended up losing more money in this. It has to be. Well, let's also say, because I, I also love this, very Mike D, you have already decided that clearly this was an intentional kamikaze run of a van into the place. It has to be. Well, I hold on, because that's very West Orange of us, okay? And look, West Orange and Clifton, I think, have a lot in common, some shared DNA. And I'm with you guys, but I will say, I read the article too, and the police did say 
this was an accident. It was a random contractor. <laughs> the police, I believe, said they saw footage. There was like footage of the accident on either somebody's dash cam or a nearby business's security camera. And they were like, for them to have staged this on purpose, you'd need to have like three cars choreograph this accident. Like we <laughs> saw it, it was an accident, but it seems like you both have decided, and frankly, I'm leaning. I'm just being a devil's advocate here. It seems like we all think that maybe three cars got together and choreographed this accident. That seems reasonable. It was God, God's hand intervening on behalf of the original Jumbo's family. Well, that's what that family says. I, I, the, the family, you know, <sighs> the cops made it very clear. This was an accident. We saw footage of it. We do not think this person, this was not like a hired thing. But the family... Even to go in the paper, you know, the ledger is a big paper. It's statewide. To give quotes that are like, you know what? Good. You got what you deserve. That's, that's God like, telling you to stop with this. That's like something you'd see on News 12. They'll report it like that. Like some mook on the side of the road. Like, <laughs> you know, the local degenerate. What are your thoughts about Jumbo's hot dog standing? Oh, yeah, you know, that's what happens when you fuck with a family. <laughs> like, that's the typical Jersey mook, like... Third grade, reading level, star ledger, you know. I've said it before. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I understand what it is. I love the ledger. Don't get me wrong. But <laughs> Nick, what your that? impression those, of an okay. average Clifton Mook was per perfect. What else would that be? Do you think that guy's like, oh, he's like, I got to get to the paper store so I can pick up the New York Times today. I have to read it. No, he's going there and like they won't even read the post or or, you know. The Daily News, they're getting the Star Ledger. And then on top of that, they get like the Belleville fucking whatever their paper is, you know, that that's the extent of their world. The Bergen record. Yeah, probably the Bergen record in Clifton, right? Because you crossed the line. So at the very least, you're the owner of this new place, whether it's Jumbos or Jumbo, whichever <laughs> one it is. At the very least, even if your competitors and these people who are mad at you didn't hire this van to drive through your business on purpose. You have now read multiple people dancing on the <laughs> grave of your business. So if the feud, if it didn't lead to the van incident, it's the van incident is certainly setting off even more bad feelings, right? No, and that's what's going to make this continue as a feud. But I think too, when I started to think about this in a visual way, imagine you have... You have a hot dog stand called Jumbo Hot Dog and Lemon Ice on one side of the street. And then all of a sudden, directly across the street, a guy opens a hot dog and lemon ice stand called Jumbo's in, New in Clifton. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, come on. Somebody is going to drive a van through through your, your lemon ice hot dog stand. Well, we have down here, we have the original, we have the original steaks across from the Beachcomber and Steaks Unlimited. And they both claim to like be the innovators of the cheese ball. And then like after talking cheese to different balls. people. Yeah, exactly. So, cheese balls. Turns out it was two brothers that had like a falling out and they opened up like right directly across the street from each other. It's almost more excusable if it's a family rift though. Like you've yeah, there, there no, are I get many that. businesses where you see that, you know, a lot of pizza places <laughs> all over the tri-state area. Just another good example of a food feud. Love it. I love it, man. Everybody needs to keep your eye on Clifton because this is, I've often said, I mean, and it's not something I thought about, but in the course of doing this podcast, I've said, uh, oh. I think Clifton might be the prototype North Jersey town. I think in a lot of, Clifton's like expansive and huge. You always meet kids from Clifton out and about. There's tons of kids that grow up there. It has like a wide demographic. both Really like, wide know, demographic. Economically, Rich and poor, yeah. mostly middle like class. Close to the city. The tough sections over near Patterson, the nicer sections over by Montclair. It's got every, Clifton is in many ways, I think, I mean, it's got, it's got the TikTok Diner. It's got Ruts Hut. It's got weird New Jersey spots. It's got, um, Garrett Mountain up there with that Lambert's Castle, like it's got a lot going for it. And uh, Dude, mentioning TikTok, uh, they were so pissed the other day. I fucking was driving because I was thinking I was like, I want a burger. I don't like from TikTok, and I drive by every day, and I fucking spaced out. And the next diner I saw was the Park West, and like I'm not bashing. I'm not like a, I am a diner basher when you deserve it, but like. I went there and I'm like, ah, oh, it's the Park West. So I thought it was like, I'd already gotten on 46. I was like, shit. So I went in there, I got a burger. And I, needless to say, it was not as good as a TikTok usually is. Well, I'll also say this, man. That stretch a few years ago was perhaps the most epic diner stretch anywhere in the world because you had the TikTok. Oh, Three Brothers. The yeah. Park West. 
And then if you kept going right after three merges of 46, you got the six brothers. And that the was six a great. Brothers that was, was a good diner. I can't believe that place shut down, man. Fantastic. I think maybe it was, I don't know. I, I heard a couple different things about it. We have to ask our diner correspondent, uh, George. He gave me the inside scoop on that, which I will not say on the show, but there was a, he told me there was some nefarious, a little bit of nefarious business going on in that closing. Yeah. The Six Brothers. And then right after that, you get on the other side of the mall and you had the Versailles, which I think is the West Essex. But the Versailles was my diner for years and years and years. That was a legendary diner stretch right there. Anyway, Speaking of the TikTok, though, yeah, I don't know if this is the second thing we would have talked about, but it's on the outline. Sorry. Another, no, 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 Nick. It was perfect because you're going to hear. <laughs> it perfectly segues into tonight's topic because- uh, Mike D, I have heard of this, but you researched it for tonight. A legendary and very serious feud surrounded the TikTok diner. <laughs> it's true. So Nick, maybe you're going to want to go to the Park West after this. Oh, no, I know this story very well. It only, it only makes the lore of the TikTok even more enticing. Let's break it down, Mike D. I just have to throw out at the same time and also say, like, what is it with New Jersey diners and hitmen? Because I believe this is the third or fourth time that we're going to talk about a story that occurred the last 10 or so years that involves New Jersey diners and a hitman. The only insight I can give to that is that Greeks are very passionate people and many times are able to hold a grudge and want to exact revenge in any way possible. So I'll just leave that out there. But even Nick, I got to ask like, um, like even, you know, one of the other stories, the, the case going on right now, Sean Cattle, I believe is the guy who, was arrested for hiring hitmen to murder a political rival, and now there's that great podcast. Oh yeah, WNYC. They're at, they're doing an ad trade with us, but outside of it, it's just a great podcast. Crazy. He paid for that hit in the diner, a parking lot of a diner in Elizabeth, aka the most Jersey moment of all time. Yeah. But can do, can can the Greeks keep their mouths shut? Too? Are Greeks good at keeping secrets? That's there's, another good question. There's always like uh, just like every other ethnic group in you know New Jersey, there is also a Greek mafia. And one of their strongholds for years was like the diner industry and still is. And um, yeah, they can keep a secret. But I think number one, when you look, when you listen to that story, you find out that like, this is just this jerk off who probably had more money than he could ever want because he married into a fucking diner family. Literally probably just had to stand behind a register like half the day and make sure nobody fucking stole from them. You talking about the TikTok? Yeah, about the TikTok. Okay, well, let's break it down then. Let's break it down. Before we get opinions on the case, let's get the yeah, facts yeah, yeah. out there. Go ahead. Mike D, fact man. In 2013, and Nick, uh, help me with my pronunciation if I mangle this, Giorgio, uh, Giorgio Spiropoulos, <laughs> manager of the TikTok diner. He's part of the family. His uncle is is one of the owners. He hires, he tries to hire a state trooper posing as a hitman to kill his uncle, who is the owner of the TikTok diner, in return for, for $20,000. And it gets even more insane because, that, and I guess they have all this re recorded because it was a setup. He also says, you know, kidnap my uncle, torture him, get the safe combination and dispose of his body. And by the way, if when you're doing this, my aunt gets in the way, it's okay to kill her too. Right. Yeah. I forgot about that detail. That was like the thing that, that was one of the details that blew up when this story broke. I remember that's cold. That's really cold. My guess is like, this guy was probably like, he was probably into somebody for a lot of money, right? And so he probably hung around with like a half, a bunch of like half of wise guys, which is like pretty common when you're in that business and you have all kinds of miscreants come through and you have to deal with distributors and stuff like that. So he probably went to like the wrong guy, asked for help. This guy's like, I'm in trouble with the cops. Um, hey, I can give you this. I can give you a lead that this guy over here wants somebody killed and I'll even set it up for you if I don't have to go to jail, like I guarantee you that's probably how it really played out behind the scenes. And this guy was just like greedy. Like, listen, his father was going to die and he was probably going to inherit his share in the business. And you know, they're making so much money. It's disgusting. At the TikTok. Yeah. That's got right there on route three with all that neon. It's like an iconic looking diner. It might be the iconic looking diner in the state. Yeah. There's still, there's only a few of those left. And like, even if you go to a, like a tops, I went to tops the other day and I forgot they weren't 24 hours a day. I was there at like four 30 in the morning. I was so pissed off, 
But uh, um, they were they made that play. I mean, it was a classic diner before, but it's it's a really nice looking diner now. It's like so different, but it's nice. It's like fifties ish. TikTok is Mick Jagger's diner of choice, apparently, when he plays the Meadowlands. I've read that uh, nice. he, he's been spotted dining at the TikTok. Yeah, you go in there. It's like real. It just reminds you of like a comfortable diner. Like it's just great boots, you know. Food is good. Food's yeah. good. Get it, it passes the burger test every time. I have a memory. Uh, this is from so many years ago. One of the most Jersey days of my life. I had to be in the city at night for a show. This was when I was very young. I was still 21, as you guys will hear. Because you both knew me when I was a drinker and when I wasn't. I quit young. But I had a day where there was a Loop Lounge event. Loop Lounge is right there in like Passaic, but right <laughs> oh, over the yeah. border of Clifton. It was, I forget if it was a weird New Jersey event that Glenn Jones was emceeing or if it was just an IBJ Glenn Jones X-Ray Burns event. The Loop Lounge, it was, uh, I had been there for, I think they did a Halloween party there too. Uh, this was not a Halloween thing. It was, it was like a regular, summer. yeah, maybe it was like a weird New went, Jersey one. hung out, Jonesy was there running the show, X-Ray got up, was killing the room. I had a couple drinks because I was still a drinker then, and I uh, I had given it a few hours, but I went to drive into the city, and I was like, oh, I shouldn't be driving. This is really fucking bad. So I went and I sat at the TikTok Diner. I had hours to go. I went and sat at the TikTok Diner. I think I ate a big fucking cut of challah French toast. Uh, so good. I just said, give me something that'll soak up everything in my system, <laughs> and I just waited an hour or two. I think I sat in a booth all by myself eating starchy foods. Got back in the car. I said, "Okay, I'm good to go." Now that was still I was still irresponsible and young for even that, but that was a real good Jersey day, man. Get a little too get a little too daytime tipsy at the Loop with Jonesy, and then you go and you soak it all up with some carbs at the TikTok. That's a very Jersey day. Yeah, you leave a little bigger tip, and you could even sleep in the booth for an extra half hour. Yeah, they would let you hang out all night. Yeah, they would let you hang out all night <laughs> to close out the the saga of the TikTok murder for hire is. In one of the articles in the Star Ledger following up on this, they're doing sort of man on the street interviews inside the TikTok diner <laughs> after this happens. And one one of the quotes is the journalist asks a random diner patron, do you think this reflects poorly on the state? And the patron replies, everybody knows that New Jersey is full of criminals and killers. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. That's a great quote. I so read that earlier and I was like, oh my God. I want to... I want to step away from food feuds for a second. Cause we, I mean, we could do a whole episode that's just food feuds, but let's expand it. Nine, seven, three, seven, eight, zero, four, six, six, zero. That is our number here. There's certain, I'm going to call we, up and leave a story. I'm going to leave a feud story on the hotline. Listen, I want everybody to leave their feud stories because here's the thing I'm thinking is most of the best feud stories that are happening in New Jersey. Aren't things that are going to fly outside of that town or maybe that neighborhood. I'll call right now. I'm thinking of this because there was one in West Orange that's the exact type of thing I want to hear from people about. I want to hear about your town's version of this. I want to hear what this was for you growing up. There was a legendary one in West Orange. I was in <laughs> middle school or high school. I mean, you guys still lived in town, so you weren't still in high school. I remember. So. I, I know the incident you're talking about. I was in high school. Yeah, I remember driving by the house. Yeah. Oh, everybody, man. It was like fuck. It was like trying to go to fucking Fountains of Wayne at Christmas. It was a line of cars down the fucking block, man. This fucking guy, and this was in the real, you can tell I'm tired because I'm talking very Jersey, by the way. You can hear how exhausted I am. <laughs> this was not in my fucking Trashville section of Down the Hill, which I've come to realize, by the way, through doing this podcast, that I was true Down the Hill and that there were grades of Down the Hill. And I've come to realize oh. where we stood down by Colgate Park. Listen, this was up the hill. This was on a block. Highfalutin like, trash. Oh my God. This was highfalutin West Orange. This was up off a of Pleasant Valley Way, up behind the armory. So if anybody knows West Orange, if any of my old punk rockers know, this was like right in that area where the VFW hall was. This is like nice West Orange. This is up upper middle class. Hill. Upper middle class solidly. This is like getting up towards Livingston. These are people who move to West Orange and go... And, and and now it's less of an issue because West Orange is getting hot. But these are the people in a neighborhood where you'd go, yeah, I live in West Orange, but I'm pretty much in Livingston. It's it's that type of neighborhood. And there was some neighborhood dispute. I can't find any articles. I know exactly that, what- I remember they were there. I know exactly what the dispute was. What was the dispute? Got to be in the Chronicle, no? Was it in the Chronicle? So I remember this because at the time it struck me, it pissed me off. So- the dispute was, like Chris said, this is that was a really nice, right? That was a super nice neighborhood. And 
the the person who owned that house, he owned the contracting business. I can't remember if he was like a plumber or, or whatever it was, but he was a contractor and yes. he would park multiple yes. of his like businesses, contractor, like trucks, vehicles in the driveway. And after a certain period of time, the neighbors kept calling and complaining, saying, you're not allowed to park commercial vehicles in a driveway here. It's against the town zoning. And they kept calling. And eventually the, the town came and fined him. And he flipped out. He's like, I can't believe you said you're saying I can't park the trucks for my business here, which led to his actions, which are kind of amazing. Yeah. His actions. <laughs> and again. Mike T, I don't know if you tried to find articles. It I was all over the Chronicle. Everywhere, and I think of I'm surprised it wasn't in the ledger. Can't find could it. Could not find it. This guy went and got, like, I remember driving past the house. He must have had seven or eight different shades of the tackiest colored paint he could find. Yeah. And he painted vertical stripes up and down that fucking house. Like with a roller crudely. Yeah. So it yep. looked even, like, worse. <laughs> it was not. Like, there's articles. I, I searched for, like, West Orange striped house and an article comes up about somebody in England who has a red and white striped house, like a candy cane house. But that's a person who hired a painting company and just made like a very strange style choice. That's still got like firm edges and straight lines. This motherfucker was basically like, you don't want to let me park my trucks. I'll go ahead. I'll put the truck. Fine. I'll go put the trucks in a lot somewhere and I'm going to make this house vomit inducing to look at. If you can picture really, really nice, three-story center hall colonial, you know, on a block, like all manicured lawns, everything is set back from the street. People take a lot of pride in their homes and you would drive up and he's straight up, just paint it with a roller, nasty colors up and down the entire house. I mean, it was amazing. And like mauve, fuchsia, like doo-doo brown. Also the same area that, uh, was it Pleasant Pleasant Valley Sundays. Yeah. Yeah. Same area that that song was written about. Same neighborhood that uh, that yep. they lived in at the time there. Sure was. I mean, look, at the end of the day, if that guy wanted to park commercial vehicles in his driveway in my neighborhood, in my section of town, nobody would have nobody would have said a word. Nobody would have said a word, man. Who cares? You're a hardworking person. This is what happens when these up the hill people, he's a down the hill, he's a down the hill soul trying to live up the hill and these up the hill people can't take it. I'm glad he stuck it to him. Why should I have to look at that work truck? It disturbs me to see yeah. work trucks if they're not coming to my house to work. These are probably all... You put your garbage cans out a half hour early. I'm calling the uh, code oh enforcement. God, exactly. These are the people you're dealing with. These are people who probably... Um, people who, like, their spouses work and they have nothing else to do. Worked at pharmaceutical firms or went to the city for work. These are commuters into the city for work. And this is... Uh, this the old is, lady who still lives on the block is angry. A North yeah. Jersey individual working with his hands. And God forbid, God forbid you'll work with your hands up the hill. They don't want to know about it. They don't want to see it. So he painted his house and said, fine, fuck you. <laughs> this Nick, this reminds me of a, of a threat of, oh, the best. of an incident that happened with you, of a way you threatened to paint your house in anger. I have to say, too, before we even get into this, because we should say, for anybody wondering about the breakdown of our friendships, we're all, we've always been close, all three of us. But I went to Rutgers with Mike and we maintained a very close friendship. Nick and Mike, you guys grew up like brothers. You've maintained a very close friendship. Nick and I, whenever we see each other, it's always right there. But Mike was always our conduit. So this was a thing in a stretch where you and I hadn't seen each other in a long time. And I remember, I think got a call from you, Mike, where you were like cackling with glee as I picked up the phone and proceeded to tell me this story. And it was the best. I don't even remember this. You to, I, yes, you what, do, Nick. I, I mean, if you, if you remind me, I will. You made but the I best probably... threat. You made the best threat. And I think it was based off of this stripe house. I think it was inspired by this. Guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> I believe it was also for the same reason, which was someone had complained that you were parking your work truck in your house. And yeah, I believe the adjective that they used was, you can't park that here. It makes the block look like a ghetto. <laughs> and you gave, which this is probably the funniest thing that I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> He's not even going to be able to say it. But Nick, you have to tell him what you threatened. You have to say it. I remember this, but like, this is just... Like, you know, I don't, like, we talk about all the time, like, I don't realize half the things that come out of my mouth, like, you know. Oh, we know. We know. 
So to me, it's just like, ah, oh, it's just like, you know, in the industry of working, whatever else. And like for a long time, I was very unhappy in my life. So, and I'm very creative when I'm angry and, and, <laughs> and wanting to, you know, throw knives at you. Uh, I was like, I'll fucking paint my house like a Western beef. And I don't know if you've ever been by a Western beef. I don't think there's only like a couple left. There's one in like orange still on, on main street. And I was like, and I was like, Mike, yeah, put the fucking cactus up and fucking everything with a big like finger, blah, blah, blah. And this jerk off for anybody listening who has not, cause there was one in Queens right by me too back then. Western Beef paints the outside of their stores in the most bright shade of orange you've ever seen. Just it's like a, it's supposed to like kind of look like a desert, but like really vibrantly. And there, it, there's always at some point in along the building of a, a Western Beef, like a sun and a cactus somewhere. <laughs> and but it's like almost like diarrhea red, diarrhea red. with a orange, and it's just it's fucking hideous, like. <laughs> So you flipped out on your neighbor and threatened to paint your house to no, look well, like a okay, Western so this, beef. Now, now this also goes back to another thing, which because of my profession, I dealt with a lot and had been like challenged many times. Talk about feuding neighbors and boundary lines. Oh yeah. So this this precipitated after I had asked my neighbor to have his son to stop parking his car on my property, and he said, "That's not your property." And I said, "Listen, I'm." I'm a surveyor. Like I'm not a licensed surveyor. I'm working under a, a licensed land surveyor. I've been doing boundary for years. I've done some of the most extensive boundary work, like retracements of like revolutionary shit, like to like regular stuff. So <clears throat> I, I run my survey around my property. I run the whole block, find all the monuments. My buddy, Chris plots it. And like all my corners are correct. <clears throat> and he's trying to tell me like, cause he had always put his fence like fucking three feet over my line. And I was nice about it. I didn't say anything. I was like, I don't care except that like your son's creating a rut along the side of my property and it's creating runoff into the street. Like, and you get the crabgrass and all that nonsense from the compacted. It's dirt. not even that. I just didn't want to have to worry about because I have a sand. It's like a sandy mix. And I finally got the grass like growing nice there and everything. So now I have this like hole and like, she's like, Oh, what are you going to do? Call a town. I'm like, well, you're the one that said that, not me. So he went ahead the next day and like called the fucking town. And I'm like, I was like, tell him, I was like, show me, Show me the ordinance. And there was none. It's just that he was a towny fucking firefighter in, uh, in fucking, you know, in Waretown. And they're all fucking hee-haw down there and shit. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just stating the facts. I really don't give a fuck. But damn right. Um, it, listen, we have Albert Music Hall, okay? It's like the bluegrass fucking mecca of the entire, like, East Coast. So, it, yeah, Waretown's a little far right hee-haw and in the best possible way i loved it um but yeah that's but boundary boundary issues with people i've been i've almost been attacked by a man in a gi <laughs> like a karate outfit. as i was performing <laughs> yes in a karate outfit in his stance with his arms out like this <laughs> and like so at the time we weren't using robotic instruments and i'm an instrument man i've been surveying for like two years and we're doing this boundary and we go there and i'm given the file and it's like talk to the neighbor Hey, how are you? Um, we understand there's a dispute. Yes, uh, just be careful. Um, you know, you can't go onto their property, but like for what we have to do, sometimes we have to be able to go onto the other person's property. So in New Jersey, which is different than New York State, so here's the example. In New York State, if you're working under a licensed surveyor, you cannot be charged with trespassing because they believe that doing your job is it's okay. It's going to make it necessary for you to go into somebody's yard, blah, blah, blah. In New Jersey, you cannot fucking do that. So if you're, if somebody's fence or whatever might be in question and you have to look for the boundary evidence, which means physically retracing the survey, finding the building, finding the corners that might be buried under a foot of like dirt or whatever, you have to like sometimes jump over a fence. And like, I am like professionally that way. Like even the older guys that I work with, they're like, Nick, you're so much better with people. Like, so I would go up to the neighbor that would be like adjoining and be like, introduce myself, give him my card, say, hey, listen, we're performing the survey. This isn't, you know, we're not doing anything vicious, but I was hired by your neighbor. And a lot of times they'd be like, no. And I'm like, okay, no problem. I'm still going to be set up in front of your house. And we have a thing called a right away when you're in your property on the street. 
and I'm in the right of way of the road, which is like I'm between the sidewalk and that little patch of Nick, like. Can I interrupt just a moment? Yeah. Just to remind you and everybody. Yeah. You're like breaking down your high level of professionalism as a way to justify telling your neighbor that you're going to paint your fucking house like a Western beef. Yeah, but I'm saying, but this all goes back to like feuds and like how many feuds I've been. I had to go to Lyndhurst once where a guy was wielding a fucking cinder block over his head and telling me he was going to throw it at me if I went six inches more over his property. As I'm standing with a survey rod out. Jeez. The other guy was standing behind me. I'm, I'm paying attention to like my chief and I'm looking through the scope. And I look behind me and I'm like, I feel somebody behind me. And I'm like, there's a dude, an adult male, like in his karate gi standing behind me, threatening, <laughs> threatening he's going to attack me if I like go onto his property where I had to call the cops. The cops come and it's like a whole fucking rigmarauder. And uh, so, but anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar with feuds and, and yes, I did threaten to almost paint my house like a Western beef. So I want to jump to... <laughs> One of the sorry for the expressos kicking in. Oh my god, the fact just the image of some guy fucking with you and you getting in his face and being like, "Oh, you th you don't like my truck? How about I paint your fucking house like a Western beef?" Is one of the funniest things you could say. I was very diplomatic about it. That's the problem. I but have. also, Mike and I know about that stripe house, and we know where the inspiration's coming from. This all goes back to that lunatic up the hill painted his house with the stripes, and that shit went to courts. That was like. That was like must-see TV in West Orange, New Jersey. There must be something in the water in West Orange. <laughs> a couple with powerful political connections was murdered in their bedroom. The case was never solved. They couldn't have done a worse job if they intended to mess up that investigation. A botched investigation and New Jersey politics. I'm Nancy Solomon. Listen to Dead End, a New Jersey political murder mystery from WNYC Studios. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Now, I want to jump. There's a very, very legendary guy version of this um, from Central Jersey, from uh, Liberty Corner, which I think is part of Basking Ridge, which is part of Bernardsville, one of these like, or Bernard's Township, rather. Bernard's Township, if I, if I know how it works, it's like Bernard's Township's pretty huge, and there's all these- Bernardsville, and then- Lions, right? The Lions VA yeah, hospitals uh, in there. Pluckman, and it's all- All that stuff connects, and is a lot of it's just parts of Bernard's Township, but I first learned about this guy, later wrote about him when I was at Weird New Jersey, the first time I went to the fucking Devil's Tree, which was my freshman year of college- um, a bunch of kids on my floor got together. We wanted to do weird New Jersey stuff. This was years before I worked there. And a couple of these kids, they were dickheads, man. They were these twins who played lacrosse and they were from Bernardsville. Um, I later actually called you, Mike D, because one of them got drunk and pushed me into a broom closet. And I, I think I called you to round up the West Orange troops and we may have had a talking with him, if I remember right. We did. We threatened to paint him like Western beef. <laughs> we'll paint your fucking paint your walls like Western beef. We'll use your blood. Um, so the Devil's Street, you go up there, it's spooky, man. I, I just drove past it again the other day. Cal's preschool is not too far from there. It's like a crazy tree. But I passed this fucking sign. And I remember, man, back in the day. This is over 20 years ago. The real scary shit. You'd come down the hill from the Devil's Tree on the way back to the highway. And there was this property that had all these signs set up. Um, the famous one, it said, uh, I have a picture of it here. And I remember so well seeing it. It had an American flag on it. It said that U.S. flag represents just one thing, the U.S. Constitution, obey it or be cited for treason. And this sign was just like a big giant piece of plywood with like stenciled spray paint this was not like a professionally made thing and this property had big reflective white wooden crosses all over it that you'd be coming down the hill and it would be hitting these crosses that would kind of like light up and flicker all these other signs that were all like founding fathers constitution shit it was one of the earliest times where i realized with weird new jersey okay the legends are scary but anything related to the behavior of people is 10 <laughs> times more dangerous. And this guy was locally so famous in that area. We later wrote about him, Weird NJ. He had a feud with the entire fucking town of Bernard's. This guy used to put up these signs. This guy, he was born on, he called it the Sons of Liberty Farm. It's now a public park. Um, the town bought it. 
from the person who was the executor of his estate, which would have pissed him off so much because he was like an anti-government person who was like, you never, <sighs> like he was like, do not sell my land to the government. So he'd be very, very furious that Sons of Liberty Park now exists. He was this guy named Irwin L. Rickard, born on this farm. Oh, Jesus. He was a guy, he did not believe in taxes. So he was a maple syrup farmer by trade. Yeah. And he could get the farm tax abatement. You know, you get a big tax break if you're a farm. Yeah. But he didn't believe in taxes. So every year they'd come to him with the farm tax bill, but he never filed the paperwork as a farmer. So they'd give him his tax bill. He wouldn't pay it. Then they'd go to court and every year they then had to like sort it all out and give him the farm tax abatement anyway. But he never believed in taxes. He was real into ham radio. He'd sit on the ham radio all night, every night, ranting and raving. Yes. And he was all about like anti-government, um, really wild stuff, man. He died in 2006. But yeah, he was just a guy who, who farmed maple syrup and lived in this house that his parents had given him. His dad was blind. His dad was a blind piano tuner. Remember the guy from West Orange is a blind piano tuner. He came to our house. He was like fantastic. Really? Yeah. 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 Oh, this yeah. This guy he didn't. Did the piano. house was modernized with an indoor bathroom and electricity in 1927, and it remained unchanged from that point forward. And uh, his this guy's father was obsessed with Thomas Jefferson and like the idea that small farmers would be the lifeblood of America. Mm. Oh, he used to ride a, a school bus around town that he spray painted red, white, and blue, but he didn't believe in insurance. He didn't believe in the idea of buying auto insurance. He said that, that they're forcing you to buy stuff and like that that was over the line. So he got pulled over and when they asked him for his insurance card, he just gave the cop a Bible and said, I have better insurance than you could ever pay for. <laughs> um, Sounds like a good guy. Nick, before you fall in love with him too much, because I saw this coming. <laughs> So let's go. He also, so apparently in 89, they widened one road up near his property. In 99, Somerville Road was widened. And he started sending letters to township officials saying anyone who seized his land was guilty of treason and deserved to be executed. Hmm. So the cops had to visit him and it was being written up in the papers. And some people got on his side. But before you fall in love with him too much, um, also know that... Um, there was an obituary that ran in the local paper where it said um, a, a man, a young, a man died. He leaves behind his family and longtime companion, John. And this guy, this maple syrup farming Jeffersonian idealist did send a letter to the Bernardville, Bernardsville News saying that his brother would burn in hell for being gay. So he wasn't a perfect guy by a long shot, Nick. And also, no, I'm not saying I, I'm just you know. He of did apparently once go to a grand union and paint swastikas on the side. <laughs> yeah, well, so I mean, are you surprised by that? No, he went to a grand union and painted it like a western beef. <laughs> He's like, ah. people were really pissed off. He tried to bury the ashes of friends of his on his property so that it would be a graveyard and and uh, the government couldn't then seize it. But he left it to these people who were supposed to be the executors, and they sold it to the town for three million dollars. Yeah, I mean, you know, he would have been so pissed at them. a lot of the a lot of the families of uh, do a lot of these surveys uh, after someone would die, and they would have a, like a tremendous amount of property, and they realized that the taxes were just going to be too much of a burden. A lot, oftentimes, then we talk about the Green Acres program in Jersey, which is really great, and um, and preserving that land for like the best possible uses. But as a landowner, like. Unfortunately, you have you have property rights, but the government, depending on who is you know more politically correct, you know connected, sometimes where they wouldn't normally be able to take your land, they're going to take your land, and it's fucked up. And I get yeah. I get the point of view of that. I'm not saying I, I of course, you know, but you don't go down guy, to the but, Grand Union and start spray painting swastikas on the side. No, no, no. At least he, <laughs> it's you know anytime. <laughs> Anytime you're driving by a rural area and you start to see like, you know, I, I'm not sure if it's uh, what denomination, but it seems to be like maybe an extreme born again kind of thing where you see the giant, you'll see the giant three crosses. And if you ever drive through Pennsylvania or through the South anywhere, it's like a pretty common thing. Like if, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that at all. Um, but usually that's, if that's your behavior there, I'm sure you have probably very extreme views in every other aspect of your life too. So Now let's uh, fly through. So, I mean, this episode has been so fun. 
we're already 40 minutes in and we have so many other things on the outline. So I want to get through, there's some famous ones, right? Hamilton versus Burr, probably the most infamous New Jersey feud of all time. I think that's been covered. Everybody's heard the uh, hip hop musical Hamilton. What other state has a feud so popular that they made the most successful Broadway musical of all time about that feud. That. I think that gives us some New Jersey feud credibility. Uh. Featuring the line, right? There's like a musical break where he says, everything is legal in New Jersey. Yep. Was- Listen, I'm on record that I love Hamilton. I also recognize that Hamilton has very, very cheesy aspects to it, but I like that line. Thomas Edison had so many feuds, uh, notoriously a, a big one with Westinghouse. <laughs> Um, which was also, you know, my grandfather worked at Westinghouse in Newark. So that was contained to Jersey. That was like an ex- Essex County feud in a lot of ways. Well, the Tesla um, Edison feud as well. And yeah, um, I know with Westinghouse, Edison invented the electric chair and tried to have the process of being killed in an electric chair because he, you know, was alternating current, direct current. Yeah. I think Westinghouse was alternating current and yeah. Edison was yeah. trying to sell direct current, which Edison was DC guy. And DC is far more dangerous in reality, right? But Edison was trying to paint the picture otherwise. But at the time, nobody, at the time, because of like infrastructure and stuff like that, nobody thought that AC was going to be viable because you'd have to, you have to always keep it moving. DC was like, portable and yeah renewable in a way now edison used ac to build the electric chair and tried to popularize the idea (laughs) that being killed in an electric chair was being westinghouse that's what he he was hoping for so that feud knows no bounds mike tell me about the tesla well i mean the the edison tesla feud was literally the world changing feud over ac dc because so tesla used to work worked for edison for a while and and he was working on the electricity project and he kept saying to edison like look the dc thing isn't really going to work out the way you think it is we have to do ac like the only way we're going to be able to light up cities is ac and then basically he fired tesla and didn't believe him and that's the westinghouse fight you were talking about stems from that because Edison just would not be proven that he was wrong and and he was proven wrong right everything in your house is AC now and you know that's the the, the standard right. for everything What's, I mean not and now we got Elon Musk flying around in fucking space above our heads like an asshole yeah like a huge asshole but the other thing is too like I think it was the it was like the world's fair when um I think Edison lit up like all of lower Manhattan using DC um batteries and lights to the street and like that was a whole big thing at the time but what's even more interesting i was working at um in carney for PSENG, putting in these like peaker units that are natural gas so one of the most interesting things on that property is the original building that was i think a coal-fired um of coal-fired plant for electricity and there's an opening day photo i found a black and white of edison like in a very old age like standing out there for the grand opening of this of this facility that was going to be having alternating current. So that's even more fucking bizarre. Now, Mike, I never realized Edison had feuds with both his own son and his best friend. So Edison was just a guy you did not want to cross. He was like Richard Dawson, man. He, he lived for the feud. <laughs> he, the, the feud with his son is, <laughs> is kind of actually sad. Um, his son, who was also named Thomas Edison Jr., you know, apparently, at least according to Edison, his son was not very smart and was kind of lazy. Um, who, who knows? I have no idea. But basically, he had tried like again and again to become successful in his own way, the son, Thomas Edison Jr., and it never really worked out for him. So basically, he started getting involved with very popular things at the time, like quackery. And he he partnered up with some people, and he was selling this device called the Magnoelectric Vitalizer, said to cure consumption, rheumatism, kidney trouble, lost manhood, womb displacement, nagging congestion, lady troubles. And it was some kind of like weird electrical device you would strap to yourself. And people bought this because they saw from Thomas Edison, even though it was Thomas Edison Jr. And then he also sold another thing called Wizard's Inc., um, again, like playing on the whole Wizard of Menlo Park, and it was some kind of ink you could mix up that apparently didn't clot. And 
Thomas Edison Sr. got so pissed off, he went to his son and he was like, look, I'll give you $35 a week allowance if you change your name because you are disgracing me and disgracing the family. And his son accepted the $35 a week. He changed his name to, to Thomas Willard and they basically just, you know, stopped speaking after that. But I mean, he was so... Probably very comfortable $35 a week back then was probably like, you know... Not a bad, not a bad salary. I'll take it now. I'll change my name to Chris Willard. $35 a week, Chris Willard? Yeah, I'll do that. I think the thing that really set him off was the magnetic um, cock ring that he was marketing under the <laughs> That's Edison name. basically what the <laughs> magnoelectric vitalizer was. That, was. that was what pushed it over the edge. <laughs> That's why now it's all those fads that are still now, you know, I wear like a magnetic, everybody has different bracelets and, and uh, ankle and elbow supports that are weaved through with like copper, positively charged ion, like... I'm not saying it doesn't work if you use that. I don't want to offend anybody, but... They used to have one at the Edison Museum you could try, but when they remodeled <laughs> it, they, they said they should probably close it off. <laughs> the people they didn't want. It was unsanitary. Too many perverts. There were too many uh, perverts showing up just for that. The first shock collars used for sexual purposes. The last Edison feud, which is short but insane, is he... There, there was a guy, Ezra Gilliland, who was basically like Edison's best friend from when they were very young. I can't remember how they first met, but they were very young and they were close their entire lives. And eventually, you know, Edison became fabulously wealthy for the time. And so he bought these two houses in Florida um, along a river, the, the Kalahusachi River. And so one house for him, one house for his, his best friend, Ezra. And they would all go down to Florida and their families would vacation together and the houses were literally right next to each other. So they do this for a couple of years and then Edison and Gilliland have some kind of falling out that no one really knows what happened. So Edison sends a bunch of workmen down to Florida to Gilliland's house <laughs> and has them pull out all the piping for water and all the wires for electricity from the house. Like that's a bitter feud, Dickhead. right? You could have just been like, I'm taking the house back or um, whatever, but no, he's like, I'm just going to render it unusable in a very aggravating way. I mean, that's a New Jersey feud. That's what you do in Jersey. Now, listen, we could go all night. I mean, we have lists. We got to do a second feuding episode. We'll probably get to it. And I just want everybody to know, we got Mike T has made a great list. There's more food feuds on there. Richie Sambora and John Bon Jovi. Um, I know that there, a lot of the real housewives of New Jersey uh, hate each other and have been at each other's throats. Like, we never talk about the real housewives on here, but I know it's that's a thing that's out there. Trash. Um, all sorts of stuff. But what I want to end on tonight, because I do have some... You put this on the list, Mike, and I'm so glad you did because I have a very, very strange personal connection to this, is the feud between the Rutgers students and the Princeton students, specifically Ooh. the Rutgers-Princeton Cannon <laughs> War. Um, if you don't know, Rutgers and Princeton, New Brunswick and Princeton are what, like 35 minutes apart down Route 1? 20 miles as the crow flies. Oh, uh, yeah. If that. Yep, St straight down one. Yep. You don't even, you just need to get on one in New Brunswick. You go south, you're in Princeton. And it's very clear, you know, the state school versus the Ivy League, the haves versus the have-nots, the blue collar versus the blue bloods. Like, these are all the stereotypes. So these schools are very close, kind of built to hate each other. And Princeton is this oasis, right? Rutgers is like the Jersey State school. New Brunswick is the campus where kids go and, and you know, live. It's most Princeton is this weird little, like, gated-off, well-landscaped oasis. It's pretty bustling, because you got Route 1 running through it. But, yeah, I know what you're saying. I, lo I love Princeton. I personally love Princeton. I love it. Not me. I think Princeton is a great town, but it, it, it definitely is. I think it gets the same the same reputation that Montclair gets as far as, oh, and, and maybe Red Bank a little bit. Like, oh, they kind of pretend they're not Jersey. They kind of pretend they're not, right? Like, these are the knocks on it. My career, if anybody's followed my career for years, one of the early things in my career where people heard of me was I told a story on This American Life about going to Princeton <laughs> to threaten a guy my freshman year and breaking into his dorm room with uh, my friends Andy and Jeff and uh, really losing my mind. So I've been a part of this, but the Cannon War in particular, it's an infamous thing. So there was a cannon. It was on the Princeton campus. Um it was used to defend New Brunswick in the War of 1812, and that's the source of the issue. I believe by Alexander Hamilton, if I remember, I believe Alexander Hamilton was on the banks of the Raritan with a, like a cannon brigade or whatever it would be called, chasing off the British as they tried to make their way up the Raritan. So there's been this long-standing issue of 
so it had been at Princeton. I think the British abandoned it there. It's, right, the uh, colonialists took it over. But hey, it was last used in New Brunswick and has more meaning here where it should it live. And the students have kind of stolen it back and forth over the years. Which is crazy. Um, <laughs> and then eventually, Mike, I, I saw this and this made me laugh that Princeton eventually cemented it into the infrastructure. Of course they fucking did. Yeah. I never, I never knew that, man. Of course they did. I know there's, uh, there's also a big rivalry between the crew teams for Princeton and Rutgers. And when we were at Rutgers, one of my fraternity brothers was good friends with um, um, a, a crew guy. And he was a good dude, solid dude, like a little, like out there like us, whatever. So I don't know if you remember, somebody at some time, went to Princeton like in the middle of the night and like painted over the P that's in the middle of like the river on like a bridge abutment and put a like leg on it to make it look like an R right before like the big crew meet. And like he was like hunted down and brought up on charges and all kinds of other stuff by like um, the Princeton police. I think he eventually lost his position on the crew team. But um, yeah, it was, and I, when I was like, I didn't even like, I knew there was always the rivalry because of, you know, football and the history of that in the United States. First football game, yeah. First fo- first college football game was Princeton Rutgers. Rutgers won. And I know crew and crew people are a different kind of breed too, you know? So and and especially being that close and they did compete against each other. So I think Well here's the main if you want the ultimate microcosm of the Rutgers Princeton Jersey haves have nots, the Rutgers crew team as you would expect, practices in the Raritan River. Right. <laughs> the Princeton crew team practices on an artificial lake that was built by Andrew Carnegie. Yeah. That's all you need to know. Spe- specifically for that. For the four <laughs> crew. Specifically for crew. Yeah. Yep. Now, I got a story about this that I don't think I've ever told either of you guys, and it's going to blow your fucking minds. In college, so I went to high school. In, in college, moved into a house off campus sophomore year. Three of the guys were from West Orange. We all went to high school together. We linked up with three other guys from West Essex High. And uh, that was kind of my crew. And That was on Somerset, right? Yeah. You remember that place? Is that the place I came over there? Remember you told me to come over there and I brought you a giant bag of videos and you were telling me you're having a problem with one of your like roommates? <laughs> And I was like, just tell me what he looks like, and I'll fucking. That was so, that was on Hamilton. Yeah, oh, and Hamilton. I'm sorry. Yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hamilton was sophomore year. Okay. That was that guy was a dickhead. I almost got in a fist fight with him when I was wearing no clothes. Junior year, I lived on Somerset, right at the corner of Somerset and Plum, right across from that church. Yeah. This place has now okay. since been condemned, that. and uh, it's <laughs> a parking God. garage now. Yeah, it was bad. So my roommate, this is a long convoluted story, but I will say he executed something that was one of the most fucking brilliant comedic things I've ever seen, where he basically started, I don't want to air him out too much because it's his story to tell, but he started basically sending letters to the Daily Targum to just, which was the Daily Student Newspaper at Rutgers, but also keep in mind, like it was, it ran AP stories. It had, I think, a distribution of like fifty thousand copies. What was it? Was it the Wednesday or Thursday in the Targum that you could like just put in random shit and they would publish it? Yes. What was that? That was the um, medium. You're thinking? No, of the no, no, no. Was I? No, it was on the Targum. The Targum had something really? like that too. Yeah, and one day a week, like you could basically write anything into them, and like they would post it on this on a couple pages. I saw you at the night bar. I thought you were cute. Like, yeah. I was wearing... Yeah. started writing letters to the editor. And I swear, he would write shit just to see how angry he could get people. He was basically like trolling before internet trolling was totally established. And he'd write... Analog. Dude, he'd write the craziest shit about anything. And then we'd sit there and we'd read all the response and all the protests. There was one time where people protested our fucking apartment... <laughs> And I'd be like, dude, you're out of your fucking mind. And he'd be like, I'm just like a fucking puppet master. This is fascinating. He's like, I don't believe any of this fucking shit. So then the Targum started getting all this response. And as we all know, and now we're old enough to know, and Mike, you've worked in media in different fashions throughout. It's like, oh, negative reaction, positive reaction. They don't give a fuck. Reaction is reaction. He goes from somebody our sophomore year who's writing letters to the editor to they offer him a column. (laughs) So once every two weeks, he has his own column and he's just writing the most inflammatory, crazy shit ever. And I swear to God, 99% of it was to make me laugh personally. He'd just like, I'd see him in our house. He'd be like, 
brace yourself for what's coming out next week. I'd be like, what are you oh about to do? God. And he'd write some crazy fucking shit and people would go nuts and we would sit and laugh about it. And it was fucking <laughs> epic. Then he started having these recurring people combating him. And I'd be like, oh, that guy Evan wrote up and tore you up again. Oh, that guy Frank wrote and tore you up again, dude. Like they got you good. Dude, he starts showing me the receipts. It was all him. <laughs> He's sending himself these fucking crazy responses, like clowning him, like shitting on himself and tearing his own arguments apart point by point. Uh, and then there's people rallying and like names that weren't even Rutgers students. Like the Targum wasn't even checking to see if these were actual students. They were fictional creations. Nah, they don't care. The fucking funniest, craziest, most elaborate shit. Now, point being, our junior year, I think it's been enough years now that he won't be mad if he ever hears this. He comes to me one night. He's like, yo, something really fucking nuts happened. I'm like, what? He's like, read this. And he shows me this email where he goes, it basically says like, so we are a group of, from what I remember, it was like conservative leaning students at Rutgers. And we have been part of the Royal Order of Bull's Blood. Oh God. The Royal Order, people think that Rutgers, uh, you know, because Rutgers had Cap and Skull, which was a secret organization like Skull and Bones. And then at some point, it kind of became absorbed by the university and became an honor society. And I think it had the Fraternal Order of Bacchus, too. The Fraternal Order of Bacchus was another rumored about secret society that may or may not have operated out of your attic. <laughs> Allegations. <laughs> and only have been around for like three weeks, one summer, with seven people in it. But It involved heavy sweating. It basically said, like, the, the Fraternal Order of... Uh, or the Royal Order of Bull's Blood. Bull's Blood, I guess, is a type of Hungarian wine. New Brunswick always had a real strong Hungarian presence. Yeah. It's like the Royal Order of Bull's Blood has existed for centuries. Um, it is not a talked about thing. Cap and Skull has been co-opted by the university, but we've been running concurrently the whole time, much more underground. You seem like the type of person who would like what we're doing. Yeah. And... Um, we'd like to invite you on an exploratory mission to see if you'd be a good fit. Awesome. So I'm reading this email. I'm like, what the fuck am I looking at, man? So me and him are joking about it. And it basically says like, if you're, the first thing was like, if you're interested in knowing more, meet at midnight at the bell on the old Queens campus on such and such a date. And you remember like the old Queens campus was like the original, like those old at Kirkpatrick Chapel. Yeah. yeah. They didn't teach classes. Those were like really ancient building, administrative buildings now. And the bell in the middle of it is this famous bell that only gets rung on certain occasions. And he went down there at midnight and he left. And that night I was waiting up for him. He came back. I was like, what the fuck was it? He's like, dude, it's fucking... There were people there. That's awesome. Like we're, there were a bunch of fucking people there, and like I, they all know who I was from the newspaper shit. And I some of them were like high level athletes, and some of them were people who were parts of like this organization or that organization. And this guy came out; he was real fucking well dressed, and he gave a speech about like think long and hard about if you want to commit to this because this is no joke the royal order of bulls blood that's awesome and email back to the address that contacted you if you're in and i was like you going to do it he's like i don't know he, and then he said the guy was really well dressed like the fucking great gatsby <laughs> and he got into a red convertible that someone else was driving and they sped off and i think old queens is usually all locked up at night and they like drove up and drove away I was like, you're going to do it? He's like, yeah, I got it at least. And we, but we were laughing. He's like, I got to see what these fucking dickheads are up to. Oh, I definitely would have done it. So dude, there was one night he's like, they told me to like be ready at such and such a time. I gave him our address and we were in his room watching out the window, watching Somerset, or our living room, watching out Somerset Street. This I watched it. This convertible pulls up. He goes out, gets in, pull, it pulls away. They come back and he tells me, so the lowdown apparently is this society has existed since the beginning of the Cannon War. That's so awesome. Specifically to fuck with Princeton. Oh, fuck He's yeah. like, this is a group of Rutgers guys that are inducted every year. And like, they're the ones that go and paint shit to disrupt them. Like you were saying, Nick, or like, yeah. they're the ones who go and put like the wrong color grass seed on their field to spell out pro Rutgers messages. And, they brought him down there and there had been, oh, there, that was the other thing. First, they had sent him a riddle. He said, I'm interested in joining. They sent him some crazy riddle 
And he showed me that and he had to solve it. And when he- He solved it. He successfully solved it. And that's when they said, okay, what's your address? We'll come pick you up. Um, so they like called the herd. So anybody who couldn't solve the riddle, you were out. So it's like, so there's going to be some people that are like, fuck, this is too weird. Some people couldn't solve the riddle. And then he went and they picked him up. And he basically came back and told me they went to Princeton and there's some cigar store or tobacco store that had a famous carved Native American um, yes. statue and it had some meaning to the town of Princeton and they were going to steal it, but then they got down there and it was like locked up in a way that was unusual. They had scouted the store. Usually this thing was left outside, so they're going to have to go back another time and get it. And I was like, this is fucking weird, man. This is real. And then after that, the next time I asked him about it, because we saw each other every day, we lived together. But like after a month or so, I was like, what's going on with the bull's blood? Like, did you ever go back for that statue or did they make you do something else? And he just looks me right in the eye. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's it. He's in. I, well, I was like, dude, like I read the intro email. Like I watched you get in a convertible the first night you went with these guys. Don't make me kill you in your sleep, Chris. He's like, yeah, I don't know. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Royal Order of Bulls Blood. How were we not yeah. a fucking part of that? It's my question. I don't know, but you probably shouldn't be talking about it on here because you know somebody's going to pull up in a red Corvette. I think they already got my home address. They've been waiting for me to speak publicly. It's going to be Prince. He, he was part of that organization. You just didn't know it. He's going to be singing his song. You're going to wake up tomorrow and your house is going to be painted like a Western beef. Yeah, it's like, ah, ha, ha. It is shocking to me, Mike D, that you were not at the core of that organization when we were at Rockers. I was. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> God damn it, everybody. Okay. 973-780-4660. We want to hear about the feuds. And again, there's so many that we have on our list that we didn't have time to get to. Yeah. This episode can't be a million hours long. But going to be so many good calls, I hope. So call in. We know that you guys know about the other famous ones. Call in and get them out there in case we missed them. But even more importantly, what is your town's version of the striped house guy or the, this is the U.S. Constitution, maple syrup farming maniac. I have to imagine that there are people like this out there in all different neighborhoods, north, central, south. We got to hear about the local feuds that have delighted you to no end. Um, I also had on the list that that school superintendent who kept taking shits on the track in Homedale, who now, oh, yeah. he claimed that he just had a condition where he got diarrhea when he jogged. And that it was illegal for them to publish his mugshot. Like this motherfucker keeps. What do they call it? Trotters? What do they call it? It's like, dude, you took shits on the Homedale track and got caught. Just fucking like own up to it. Pay every fine you can and go live your life in shame. He's fighting the fight. He's in a feud. We want to hear about your town's version of this big time. I know there are so many out there. 973-780-4660. Yeah, so many. Mike D, what if? What if you were in the bull's blood the whole time and we never knew about it? The chair is against the wall. The chair is against the wall. Who dare disturb the guard at the outer gate? A brother and a friend. Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening to this presentation of New Jersey is the World. New Jersey is the World is Chris Gethard, Nikki Bonaduce, Don Finelli, Andrea Quinn, Carson Kopp, and Mike D. New Jersey is the World is produced and edited by Carson Kopp, Mike D, and Andrea Quinn. You can find us online at New Jersey is the World and on Instagram at New Jersey is the World. Also, please feel free to reach out and leave us a voicemail by contacting the home office of New Jersey is the World at 973-780-4660 in regards to anything show or New Jersey related. Please subscribe and listen to more episodes of New Jersey is the World on your favorite podcast service. If you're looking to join our extremely opinionated and Jersey-ish community, head on over to Patreon.com and search for New Jersey is the World. We have merch, which you can find at BelowTheCollar.com after searching for Chris Gethard. Once again, thank you for listening to this presentation of New Jersey is the World. New Jersey is the world, where New Jersey is the world.